Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, CFRU 93.3 FM, and Granddad's Donuts, and was recorded before a studio audience at Kazoo Fest in Guelph on Saturday, April 13th, 2019. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for being here at the Kazoo HQ. It's nice to see you here. My name is Vish, and uh, it's, uh, it's great to be here uh, hosting this uh, panel discussion. And uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to uh, my first guest uh, from the Queer Songbook Orchestra. This is Sean Brody. How about a round of applause for Sean Brody? Hi, Sean. Hi, Vish. How are you? I'm great. It's a beautiful day here in Guelph. Oh, we have a guest. Tom. It's not, but it's fine. You can sit, Tom. Have a seat. Who are you? Do you want to introduce yourself? I'm Tom Gill. Have a round of applause for our interloper, Tom Gill. <laughs> nice to see you both here. Now, uh, Sean, I want to begin with you because uh, you were the guest that was assigned to be in this segment. Not Tom. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. The more the merrier. Describe your role in the uh, Queer Songbook Orchestra. I guess I initially had the ideas and sort of founded the, the group. And I'm the sort of artistic director. You, you're hedging your bets a little bit. I'm sort of the artistic director. Do you, do you feel sheepish saying you are kind of in charge? Well, I, but I was going to continue to say and, and kind of the manager and sort, sort of okay. Um, okay. a few different roles within it. I see. That's the, the confusion. So it's three, three roles at least. Yeah. Well, I'm the trumpet player and, and yes. I drove the van this morning. Yeah. <laughs> so You're driving this whole operation, it sounds like, in, in a yeah. lot of ways. So where did the idea for this come from? I mean, it came out of a bit of a desperate situation, uh, really, in that I had for, for years been freelancing as a trumpet player and, you know, in the sort of indie pop scene in Canada and lived in Vancouver for a while and then moved to Toronto and was, you know, touring and playing on people's records and stuff. And then that was sort of, seemed to be sort of naturally winding down, you know, as I got into my 30s and I was sort of less busy. And uh, yeah, I just didn't know if, if it was a really sustainable sort of career past, going to be past that point. And then I, I found myself working as a bugler at medieval times and uh, really felt like it was time to do something you were a bugler at medieval times? <laughs> yes. That's, I, I don't mean to dwell on this because it doesn't sound like it was a good thing for you. It was a turning point of some kind. It was necessary in its own way to sort of push me to just play the trumpet wherever yeah. people would sort of have me. Yeah. Was there an aspect of the medieval times gig that was actually kind of fun? Or was it... Because the people you played with in the indie pop world that you were winding down from quite prominent, weren't they? Who are some of the people you've played with? Yeah, I mean, I played with A.C. Newman for a couple of his tours and records, and Dan Mangan and Hayden and Frazee Ford and Veda Hilly. Fairly, like, prominent show, like, big show. Those would be bigger shows oh, yeah. in the indie pop realm. So. No, Medieval Times is not a small show. No, <laughs> has anyone here been to Medieval Times by round of applause or... Hands on a podcast don't really work, but yeah, no, it's fun, actually, in a w weird, strange way. Uh, yeah. I kind of have the same feeling in medieval times that I have when I go to the zoo, where I'm kind of depressed by the fact that I'm entertained by these yeah. animals and the people, uh, but it's also, it's also kind of fun. 
So like it was, was it fun on some N- level? No. Because <laughs> <laughs> you got to bugle everybody who comes in onto the... Yeah, when they open the doors at the right. front and then if it's someone's birthday and they're doing a nighting, you know, in the, in the kind of hall area and... Mm. Yeah, and then you kind of have to, and you're wearing those tights the whole time, and the tights it's, are it's that very de- demoralizing. Yeah, that doesn't sound yeah. good. Okay, so you were in Vancouver, but for is that where you're from? No, I'm from Saskatchewan. You're from Saskatchewan, Regina. Regina, yeah. Regina. And what was that experience like in terms of you being an artistic person? Uh, and and you know, f- did you feel like you had platforms to express yourself did you feel like you had communities to express yourself in in, in Regina musically yeah I mean I was really fortunate there was a, a community band program that I started when I was seven and um, was sort of you know nudged towards playing the trumpet yeah and there was a really good sort of system there through that band getting started young and then the high school I went to and stuff it was like really good music programs okay that were encouraging young people and giving us a lot of experiences there was a a marching band program so we were like every summer traveling through the midwest doing like you know mar- um drum corps style you okay. know uh marching things and uh parades july 4th we'd or yeah fourth of july we'd play like fourth of july well because we'd be in the u.s oh you'd be in the u.s oh i see, I tours, see. yeah right and we have to do like five parades on uh, that day you know like just going from one town to the next What's um, better, playing uh, the 4th of July in America or playing at medieval times? Is there any the similarities? 4th of July parallel? was... Uh, I mean, at least then I was a kid and we were... You're with all your friends, you know? And, there and was you're in America. Like, yeah. That's kind of exciting. Okay. Yeah. I just wondered if there was a connection there. I don't think you're going to find me saying something was worse than <laughs> medieval times. <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> okay. So you had creative outlets for your yeah. interest in music. Do you remember what got you into music? I don't know, it was the fact that my sister, who's a year older, was gonna join, because um, my mom sort of asked her if she'd be interested and, and I would just sort of thought I would like to do it too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to play the drums and I was seven and the director said I was too small. Too small to play the drums? Yeah. Huh. But he was the trumpet teacher too, so he was like, "You should play the you trumpet." You said you were nudged into playing trumpet as yeah, though that it was, was the nefarious, nudge. almost. Like, yeah. You, you play the trumpet. We need a trumpet player, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was another student for him. But were there? Uh, you know, often I speak with uh, musicians who are inspired to get into music because they hear a song, they see an artist. Um, I've certainly talked to members of the LGBTQ community or people who are. Who, who say they had some kind of creative awakening, but also a personal awakening uh, because of an external force. Did you have that? Not before I started, I don't think, but then it sort of came later and sort of pushed me into getting deeper and really wanting to do it, mm-hmm. you know? But when I was a teenager, it was more like listening to like Clifford Brown and, you know, Miles Davis and, and then a lot of orchestral stuff too, like getting into... Stravinsky and Mahler and all this kind of stuff that really sort of deepened my my love of music and wanted made me want to like pursue it. Yeah, I mean, this makes sense given your trajectory as a trumpet player, but it is a fascinating turn you took into the indie rock or indie pop world, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I I, so I went to university at UVic to do my undergrad in, in music performance and. It was d- during that period that I just sort of recognized that I didn't want to pursue being an orchestral player. And that I just I had other musical interests too. And it felt to me that to be an orchestral player, you really had to kind of do it at the expense of anything else. Because um, of the time and effort? Yeah, and the, this, the jobs are so scarce that if you're going to be good enough to do it, you got to like just kind of do that. Yeah, and in university, like I started playing in a Latin band you know, a, a classmate was putting together and and then started playing with some a bit of pop stuff and this and that. So I just sort of fell out of the sort of or, orchestral kind of stream and was doing kind of whatever came up or whatever was sort of asked. And then I ended up moving to Vancouver and started playing with some friends who a friend was like friends with the had this connection to this band and they were like, we could use a trumpet. So I started playing with them. 
and they're called the Nines, the German Nine. Uh, oh yeah, I remember the Nines. Yeah. The Nines and uh, Cam Dilworth, who's the songwriter, principal singer in that band, he worked at Larve Guitar Factory with Carl Newman. Mm -hmm. So Carl would come and see our, our shows. We played the Sugar Refinery and stuff in those days in Vancouver. And um, yeah, Carl was a fan of Cam's songwriting. So he would come to our shows and then he heard me and then he was recording his first solo record, uh, The Slow Wonder, it was in 2003. Carl would have still been in Vancouver then? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And uh, so he asked me to play on that record, The Slow Wonder, which I did. And, and then that kind of led to a lot of other things. I, I did the North American tour when that record came out. And, and then back in Vancouver, and I would sort of play with, like, when people were coming through town, the hidden cameras, first time they came through, I just kind of connected with them and uh, played Riches on Richards with them. And then when Hayden came through, I ended up playing with him and Hoxley Workman. So all these people I was kind of like... They were coming through Vancouver and then you would connect. Yeah. Okay. So we've, we've moved from Regina to Vancouver, but now you're in Toronto. How did you end up in Toronto? And then I, I don't know, I just kind of felt like I had, did my, had my time in Vancouver. And there's a few things. It just it felt really isolating to me and I kind of wanted to be in a bigger city. And I've always been a Western in Western Canada. And... Uh, I kind of wanted to be in the East, but, but the other thing was the queer scene in Vancouver. I just kind of wasn't meeting the people that I hoped to. I wasn't finding that kind of my community there. Do you have a sense of why? I mean, Vancouver is a, one of Canada's biggest, one of the biggest cities in the world, one of the most expensive cities in the world, but I mean, it, you would think a met metropolitan area like that might foster the kind of community that you couldn't find. Do you have a sense of why? I, to me, it just seemed like a sort of more one-dimensional kind of scene there at the time, you know, the mid, kind of mid-2000s, um, which it may not have been, but then maybe I wasn't getting out enough meeting the right people. I was really sort of music-centered in terms of, like, my social circles and stuff. Mm. And I think Vancouver's really changed a, a lot in those ways now. But I also, like, I'd met, I'd met the Hidden Cameras people and kind of kind of knew that there was this other thing happening in Toronto right. with Will Monroe and Vaseline and the Beaver and all this stuff. Like, in it terms just of seemed queer, queer art yeah. work, right, yeah. Okay. It just seemed a lot more interesting okay. to me, and yeah, so I thought I would So you've been in happens. Toronto for how long? 12 years. 12 years. Yeah. So you're, you're at medieval times. Uh, it is <laughs> the, the, the worst of times. It is the most medieval of times, right? <laughs> yes. So now you're like, I got to do something. Uh, and you want to do something within your queer community. I, am I drawing to fine a line here? Is this where the orchestra came from? Well, eventually, but I, what I was pushed to do through Medieval Times, that whole experience, was just to quit music altogether, uh, which, which became my, my plan. You were going to uh, quit, just be done. Yeah. Yeah, I decided to go back to school, and my interests were in journalism. I was going to go into journalism, right. and I wanted to make radio documentaries. And the the one sort of idea that was sort of driving this forward was I wanted to make a documentary about a trumpet player uh, who passed away a few years previous, Arnie Tchaikovsky, and he's sort of a legendary figure among trumpet players and, and jazz musicians in Canada, but not widely known beyond that. And he was a really prolific. Um, session player in Toronto for decades and the lead trumpet player of the uh, Rob McConnell, the Boss Brass, and a really fantastic uh, musician admired by, uh, I mean, Doc Severinsen admires him and everybody, all the trumpet players do. But outside of those circles, nobody really knows who he is, but he, his sound is sort of really embedded in, in the Canadian fabric. Okay. You know, and it, most famously, he played in the um, Hockey Night in Canada theme song it's like him his soaring trumpet on, on top oh. so I just I was really interested in this idea of this the sound of this trumpet that's sort of been you know part of all these Canadian moments and like families at home on Saturday night watching hockey and he's he's like been there but nobody knows who this person is and just the, kind of the depth of his story I wanted to try to bring that forward so I wasn't really driven by a queer story in the beginning it was wanted to tell this 
story of Arnie, which is an unknown, like, which the QSO kind of became this like telling the, un, the like little known stories behind things. And with Arnie, it was sort of like that, like telling the sort of unknown story of, of Arnie Tchaikovsky. And so I got really motivated. I was like, emailed the Sunday edition. I was just like, I think we should do this reader documentary. And I tried to just get it, get the idea sort of produced. And, you know, they didn't really bite. And uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I just thought I would try and do it. And then those doors kind of n never opened. And, and I thought maybe I'll go to school and try to learn how to do it properly. So I applied to go to Ryerson for journalism. And yeah, and well, I put my application in and then I waited a few months to get the results. And I was kind of telling the people I was playing with at the, at the time I was quitting and I was going to school. And uh, I never really thought that I might not get in. I just figured that was my new path. And then come April or whatever, I got the letter that said I didn't get in. I'm sorry, I'm sorry that happened. <laughs> happened to me too, by the way. Okay. I didn't well. get in their stupid school. <laughs> I came to Guelph. That's my daughter and my wife over there. Things have worked out okay. I, I feel the same. It was yeah. kind of a great thing they did for me by not letting me in because what would I be doing now? I'd be like freelancing in journalism. Oh yeah, no, it's the worst. <laughs> like no one comes to your stuff when you have a podcast taping. It's the worst. I mean, you do your best. No, no offense. You guys are great. Um, no, I know. Yeah, no, it's, it's tough, tough going. Yeah. So you, but the storytelling aspect is a key component of the Queer Songbook Orchestra as well. So that's still there. I yeah. think uh, we're going to take a quick break Kay. and then we're going to get more into this. Oh, before we take a break, Tom, do you have anything you want to add? This is going great. Okay, thanks, Learning Tom. lots about Sean I didn't know. We're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, uh, more with the Queer Songbook Orchestra. Thank you very much for being here. And we're back. Thank you so much for uh, being here at the, uh, this taping at the Kazoo Fest uh, here with Sean Brody. And uh, oh, oh, there's more people coming. Is there someone? Oh, yes, Stephen, please join us. We have other people. We're going to be joining us on stage now. Um, Sean, thanks for uh, chatting with me. My pleasure. In the first half of this. Uh, let's have our, our other uh, guests, uh, members of this orchestra, uh, introduce themselves. Let's start at the far end. Hello, I am Stephen Jackman Torkoff, and I am the poet with the Queer Songbook Orchestra. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Nice thanks. to have you. And you, sir? I'm Tom Gill. I play the guitar, and sometimes I sing. Sometimes I arrange, you know. Yep, yep, it's good I'm to have you. associate artistic director. <laughs> is that correct? Do you have a no, title? I just made no. that up. Oh, you just made that up now. All right. I think Me Steph too. thought he was, but... <laughs> this is the segment of the show where we have a coup on stage. That's what happens. I've been expecting this for a while. So uh, we got some background from Sean in terms of the impetus behind the QSO, but Stephen, can you talk about your involvement in, in the QSO and, and maybe within that how you would define it, uh, how you define mm -hmm. what it does and what it is. Oh. I, I know, I went, I went to you with a big question. <laughs> well, start, start with like, yourself. What's going on? You're the poet. Talk about uh, yeah, how, so, um, how it works. So there's a storytelling component with the Queer Songbook Orchestra. Either we have um, narratives that talk about queer musicians or queer music and the songs we're going to play, or someone from the queer community uh, might offer a song that's kind of been with them on their journey through life and then they'll tell their personal story and then we'll play the song and uh, me I started out as a narrator and then somehow it just developed into me writing these poetic dreamscape poems I call them and um, yeah it kind of just breaks the rhythm and sometimes I pair it with the song uh, sometimes not the one I'm doing today is uh, about being a dancer and it's with cosmic dancer you are you a that. dancer <laughs> Sure. <laughs> yeah, I love dancing. I'm a disco dancer. Okay, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. That's dancing. That counts. Yeah, dance. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So this is a fascinating aspect. Your role is fascinating to me because my understanding of the Queer Songbook Orchestra is that um, songs are chosen, written by others. A lot of them are kind of standards or hits by this point, right? And then I believe I've read somewhere in, in the literature about the group that you felt a, an urge to queer the songs. Is that, is that right? You queer them somehow. Is that, am, I, am I saying that correctly? Well... Am I saying it wrong? <laughs> <laughs> the, 
the songs are, I kind of think of it as the songs sort of queered by the listener, because it, it may not be ah, a listener. song that was written okay. by a queer songwriter or done by a queer performer, but they're in the listener's interpretation, this song can be kind of queered I see. through their experience. Th that's an important distinction. I think what I read was that you would hear a song and then you would apply, you would queer it, I guess, is that right, as the listener? Not necessarily as the arranger or the, that's not the role of the orchestra, but that's what you, you would read it that way or process it that way, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the, on who, you know, whoever hears that song and their experience and okay. how they kind of, and what it means to them and how they take it in. And, and then what happens is people will sort of give us their story of whatever that experience was for them and why that song is sort of holds a, a place for them. So, so, so you're taking essentially other people's compositions and then that's generating new stories about those compositions and those songs and what they mean to, to them, right? on some level, but Stephen, you're writing original poetry mm -hmm. based on the songs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. you're taking, yours is among, and does anyone else do something similar to what Stephen does um, in the orchestra? I mean, there's storytelling mm -hmm. going on, but do you have a, a prime storyteller the way you have a poet? Not a lot of orchestras have a, an in-house poet, I guess is what I'm getting at. Do you have yeah, in-house storytellers as well? Well, not in-house because we, we find our narrators wherever we go, so okay. they're always local, people local to the, the community where we're traveling to. So tonight, for example, we have three students from the University of Guelph who, are, who will be telling. So we kind of come with the stories, the existing stories, and we have local people tell them. Oh, the stories have been, and who conceives of those stories? Well, they come, as Stephen mentioned, either... Um, they could be historical right. stories oh, of I see. Billy Strayhorn or Jackie Shane or somebody, or they're a personal story that someone has given to us about their experience with a particular song. Okay, okay. That, yeah. Why, Tom, go ahead. You were I was going to say that in, in Toronto, where, where we're based and our friends are, like the f five year anniversary show we just did, Gwen Banawe, Leslie Lee Camp, the people who came and spoke at that do do what you're asking. It's not quite on the level of what Stephen does, but they do come, and maybe it's, there's not really notes, they just come and speak off the cuff, and they do kind of do their own live poetry aspect. They're not reading something that Sean or anybody else preconceived. They're not reading from a script. They're just telling their own story. Mm -hmm. So some, the Toronto shows feel a bit more uh, informal that way. Informal, yeah. okay. Can you talk to the people who aren't familiar with the group or, or haven't heard your, the record that you put out in 2018? What kinds of, who, whose songs are you performing? Because um, it's not, I think on some level, it's not what some might expect. Um, I mean, I know Tom, you have a, a real affinity for Rita McNeil, right? I do. <laughs> you know, it could be Slipknot, it could be Rita McNeil, it could be Mahler, it could be anything. I think, you know, like Mariah Carey, for instance, you know, she is straight as far as I know and writing straight love songs, but a large percentage of her fan base is, is queer. And so that's a space that's pretty damn queer. Okay. And she knows that, and she's not pandering to that audience, but she's definitely like, she would hate to lose that audience. You know, it's like, so her audience kind of has made her this queer icon. So she's basically, you know, she's gayer than me, probably, at this R point. Rita McNeil? No, I'm talking about Mariah Carey. Oh, Mariah Carey, sorry. Rita McNeil, though, who knew? Well, wait, I don't know how much we can say about Rita, but... Um, <laughs> what do you mean? You can't say stuff about Rita McNeil? Well, just in terms of, like, what the, the scope of her being a queer icon. Kind oh, of right. Thing. Like, it, that was sort of my choice. I'm sure there are other queer people who have covered Rita's, Rita's songs because of what they found relatable in her lyrics or in her voice or right. her performance or whatever. But um, yeah, it's just from person to person. It's person to person. It's a personal interpretation. So mm -hmm. uh, Stephen, can you talk about some of the artists that are covered by this orchestra and some of the songs even? Maybe. I, I have a bad memory often. Well, maybe Sean Especially or Sean in the morning. Can, in the morning, yeah. Oh, um, Arthur <laughs> Russell. Okay. Yeah. Really good Arthur Russell cover, Let's Go Swimming. I love it. As Sean said, Billy Strayhorn, uh, jazz musician, amazing. Jackie Shane. Wow, harmony. Harmony. That's better than Jinx. Yeah. Harmony. We actually, like, Tom did a really beautiful cover the other day of a Robin song off the new album called Missing You. That was 
really that beautiful. That ties in well with my Mariah. That's a big song, isn't it? That's a big comment. song. Yeah. Huge yeah. gay audience, but not me. I'm like, I'm not that interested. But someone else chose that song to illustrate their story, and so I sang it for them. And I, like, loved it and totally made it my own. And so you're learning it. stuff about music because of this orchestra as well? I didn't know anything about music until yeah, this project. <laughs> I'm no, aware, I I'm aware of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so th- this is a very fascinating approach to a kind of community building. Because um, you're going from town to town. I think you've made an effort also to play smaller markets, so to speak. Smaller yeah. towns that might not have the kinds of communities that bigger cities might have. Yeah. Sean, is it possible to articulate what you see as one of the purposes of the QSO? Um, in this structure, in the way you're kind of giving and receiving, you know, this information and, and my, what it might do to the communities that you're touching? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, the project has sort of evolved in, you know, beyond how it was sort of first. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Imagined because we've just sort of followed this path that we've sort of there, there wasn't a path essentially you know we've just kind of like did you did you have a, a, a template at all I've, I've not heard of this kind of thing like a it's like a people's history it's a people's musical history on some level that is you know going from town to town galvanizing a community empowering a community that's for me by the way I have to go <laughs> I should probably run no uh, that uh, there are things kind of like this that have occurred certainly in folk music idioms but mm. um, this is something altogether unique and plus we haven't even touched upon this it's an orchestra it is it is actually an orchestra which is a whole other realm uh, that we can get into in a moment in terms of that choice but yeah I just wonder if I guess my point is this is a very inventive and innovative idea it seems to be resonating with people you're saying it shifted like like this is quite an invention that you've come up with, if I might say. Does it come from anything other than trial and error? Well, I guess when, you know, after the sort of school rejection and whatever, and then I, the one thing I actually didn't mention was at that time I was also going to Videofag a lot, which is a, a space in Toronto in the Kensington Market, which is no longer there, but it was run by Jordan Tannehill and, and Millie Mellis. And it was a anything goes kind of queer performance space um, and they were curating things you know several nights a week you could go and see a screening or p- poetry or reading or p- a play um, and I was I was just kind of drifting after I got rejected from school I didn't know what I was going to really do and I was going there a lot and just kind of getting inspired by the community that was kind of coming together in that space and I wanted to present something of, of my own in that space but I didn't really have anything Multi-purpose space, not just music. You were saying it wasn't really a, there wasn't much music in that space. Okay. It was it was more theater and right. um, visual art and and uh, and that. But yeah, that was sort of one of the inspirations of what how this sort of came to be, because I was kind of like just inspired by their sort of commitment to the community and and the way like just meeting people there and seeing how this sort of community was forming around that space. And then uh, as the idea was, you know, started to form, I just felt like I wanted to pursue it because I felt like there wasn't something like this already happening. And I felt like there could be space to do something that wasn't 
and nothing against drag queens. I, I like drag queens as well, but that just sort of like told a different story, you know, and was sort of maybe tried to be a voice for different narratives mm-hmm. that weren't necessarily getting told. And is that, you know, I mean, you're, you, how long has the QSO been active now? Five years. Five years. So yeah. it's resonating. You're seeing that as you go. Yeah, and we knew it from the first night. Right. Like we did our first show in, at Video Fag, right. which is a small space. I mean, there was 30 people. We could only fit 30 people in the room for an audience. And um, yeah, we, we just could tell that it was something that was worth pursuing yeah. you know, that night. Uh, Stephen and Tom, I want to ask you both about what um, the QSO means to you personally as both... Uh, people who are in it and involved in it, but if you can also maybe speak to how you feel it's speaking to your communities and whether or not you're hearing from people, um, maybe in, if it's altered you, maybe if the stories have affected you in a way that you feel like, man, I hadn't even thought of that. Um, Stephen, why don't we start with you? Can you speak to that? Always. Yeah, I think something pretty magical and beautiful happens in the space of the shows and um, like the informal nature that can happen too and people just speaking and hearing stories is it kind of feels like you're in a big living room sometimes with beautiful music but it's maybe not all the stuff you would talk about with your or at least my family maybe many people's families you wouldn't talk about in the living room so it feels like a a, a, the best family you could have huge extended family in a group and something about the music I think opens up people's uh, spirits in a way, which I really like, and I feel um, it also feels very like possible, like anything could happen. That's why like I, I like doing my poems because at first I thought, oh, it has to be this way, and I started getting into a pattern, and then realizing, oh, we are free to do whatever we want, and also you hear all these stories of fabulous queer people through history, and it's kind of inspiring and makes you want to, you know create a new world as well and I don't know it's a great world making space which yeah. is what I like a lot so yeah and Tom similar question yeah I mean it's a gig uh, leading up to it I'm like oh it's a gig that I have in my calendar or whatever and then on the night when it's done you're just like crying and weeping with like hundreds of people and everyone's this is amazing like people are everyone's vibrating on the same like everyone's on the same page because I haven't talked to anybody who didn't like it, pretty much. <laughs> not, I don't want to jinx it now. Um, but, uh, Guelph. <laughs> yeah, Guelph. So angry. <laughs> um, but it's so not a gig. In, in my it's, a, it's a happening. It's, it's an event. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. It's so organized also when in your mind before. You're like, oh, there's going to be a story and there's going to be a song. But it's like not like that. It gets really blurry in the moment. And yeah. like... Things start happening. The audience, and it's two-way street too. The audiences are involved in a way. Yeah, you know, people are people are shouting things out and, and feeling what they're feeling, and and there's a lot of us crammed on stage, and a lot of people crammed in the like. You feel very close to everyone. You can see everybody, and it's really it's not ineffable. Like it's I, you could describe it, but it's you got to see it to believe it. World. No, I, I think that's fair to say. Tom, you're you're, you're among uh, our. When I say our, I mean our planet, our planet's most gifted guitar players. You play with lots of different people. You're a Cheers. very top shelf, top tier musician. You're on the new Mountain Goats record, right? I just read that the other oh, day. Yeah, check it out. I can't wait to hear that. <laughs> anyway, you're, you've played with all sorts of people. I alluded to this a few moments ago. The notion of orchestral music as a forum for this. I'll ask Sean as well, but what do you, do you see that as employing that term, employing these kinds of um, musical instruments as being purposeful in some way towards the objectives of the QSO? Like, do you feel like there's something going on there? Sometimes when I describe Jane Sibri to people who I love, I call her kids music for adults and adult music for kids at the same time. Like this weird shimmery access point into her world. And I sometimes I think that about QSO too, because we'll do an arrangement that includes everybody and it's, it's really you know, difficult to play and, and wiggy to listen to. You know, it's like Giorgio Magnanensi or Nicole Lise or you know, somebody involved in 
actual new music. And then we'll go ahead and play something with just a small band that's, you know, Jack, like a Jackie Shane soul song right next to it. And they perfectly coexist, and no one bats an eye in the audience. It's just like, oh yeah, here's, here's this tonality, and here's this pop song that's familiar, and here's this other thing that I don't, I've never heard before, and here's the and it's like, no one's like, rustling in their seats and annoyed about it, or, or like, oh, I know that, like, they're just, everyone's like, yep, this is what's coming, and this is the music that I like, and it's, it kind of goes beyond music, and um, so it makes sense. I think earlier on, Sean had an idea, like, it was less about the small band indie orchestra style things, and it was, we wanted to really cultivate a, a repertoire that was this chamber ensemble new music project, and now it's really, the scope has really shifted, and it, it goes with what the audience wants to hear, but it, al it also just goes with what our storytellers and the community wants to talk about. I guess I didn't, I, I mentioned that um, the musical configuration is unique, but Tom, can you actually, just for people who aren't familiar with it, what, what is the musical configuration? What, what instruments are being employed in this orchestra? Bass, drums, guitar, piano, voices, oboe, French horn, trumpet, violin, cello, and those, some of those chairs alternate out to different subs and okay. different Okay, no, that was great. No, I appreciate that. And, and Sean, earlier you were saying that at some point you kind of rejected this pathway into being an orchestral musician. Mm -hmm. And then you entered the indie pop realm and then you almost gave up music completely and now you're back mm -hmm. in this orchestral realm. Yeah. What is that saying about you? What does that say about why you thought these kinds of tones and these kinds of sounds might put these th these ideas across in in a, in a better way than maybe something else. Yeah, I guess thinking about it initially, I I thought if if we're gonna do something like this, I didn't I didn't want to just do straight covers of the songs and like do them how you would hear them on the recording. Uh, like I would want to mess with them a bit and, and have different colors and stuff and it was a, a practical consideration too because I wanted to be part of the band and I didn't want to have guitar, bass, piano, drums and trumpet that would like sure. I didn't want to do that right. so I wanted to create like a, it's a small chamber orchestra where I would actually have a place in it as well and I just always liked you know kind of odd pairings and like Stravinsky chamber stuff where it'd be you know a bassoon and a snare drum and a trumpet or you know mm -hmm. kind of stuff that you might not um, necessarily expect and then with having you know we've we've had dozens of people work on on the arrangements uh, and it's such you know all these different voices coming through 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 the arrangements so uh, yeah it, like stylistically and everything is just such a broad kind of palette that you you know, this kind of formation of the ensemble really kind of leans towards that or it kind of makes those sort of possibilities. Um, okay. No, that's fair. There. I don't know. I, I don't mean to draw too much of a connection between the two outfits, but there's some, I feel like something's up with Toronto and galvanizing. I, I know you're not similar in any regard, but I also think sometimes of what choir, choir, choir are doing in terms of like trying to foster this. We're friends. Okay, I just wanted to, I, that's why I was like, I don't know what the politics are. Guys come no, down to Guelph and I, no, I, I like those guys a lot too. And, and they've also done something quite fascinating in terms of trying to empower people with song. Mm -hmm. And also they bring in lots of guests. It's kind of a transient thing beyond the two central figures. And you yeah. do some semblance of this too. You have guests come in here and there and people sub in. But I don't, is this a Toronto thing on some level? This notion of like... We are in one of the biggest cities in the world, certainly one of the, for some in Canada, is the center of the Canadian universe, and, mm -hmm. but we feel isolated somehow. Yeah. Even though we're in music and we are constantly meeting people and there's a social aspect to playing in front of when people show up. There's a, you know, there's, you have an audience and all this stuff, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't have a specific question here, but this, this seems to be a recent Toronto phenomenon. I, I think there's probably something to that feeling is it Rob Ford is it the Ford family <laughs> Rob and Doug Ford do they bring this sense of like what is our city even what's going on we need to because the, the other thing about an orchestra a large group is their strength in numbers 
And I feel like that's part of what's happening too. Um, like the choir, choir, choir thing is two people uh, enabling thousands and thousands of people, depending on the venue, to, to participate in something. Mm -hmm. I feel like you're doing the same thing on us, but not, uh, yeah, in a similar sense of reaching out into these communities, having people be involved. I don't know. I, I think there's, yeah, I mean, I think there's something empowering in it for people who are not even directly involved in, in that sense of like singing along or whatever, because if you're in the audience and you're hearing these stories, and you don't, you also don't know what you're getting at our shows. Like we don't, we don't have a program. You don't know what song is coming. So you're kind mm -hmm. of on this journey, mm -hmm. and the narrative leads you towards the song. So you don't know what what we're going to play, or what the story is going to be about. But I think for people in the queer community, you you relate to these stories because of your own experience. And maybe not all of them, but there's probably something in the night that you have had a similar experience. You, you can connect to it. So I think there's something empowering in, in that of like being in a, in a space where a story not dissimilar to yours is being told on stage yeah. and you kind of see yourself reflected in that. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think there is an, an empowering element to it and something that kind of unifies the people in the room, yeah. Yeah, like Tom was saying. So in 2018, uh, the QSO put out a record, Anth Anthems and Icons. Um, mm -hmm. What's coming up next? for this group. I mean, we're, we're gathered here because you're playing a show in Guelph uh, that by the time this airs as a podcast will have passed. But what's, I'm curious about future plans. I will go to Stephen, who's got the worst memory. <laughs> uh, do you know what's coming up next for the QSO? Well, first off, we're gonna release a short film um, set to Reach the Sky, the Rita McNeil song that's on the Anthems and Icons album. Is it a film or a video? It's a video. Music, well, music well video? no, in the car we are like, is it a music video or a short film? Uh, but we worked yeah, with like a stop motion video. filmmaker. It has a, I mean, I guess it's both. Is, is the short film the exact duration of the song? Yeah, so the QSO version, which is longer than the original. Right, right. So the yeah. QSO version of the song will be playing, and then there will be motion pictures going along, yeah. and when the song ends, the, the whole thing will end. Yeah. A lot like a music, a music video. video. <laughs> yeah, but music video is a short film. It is a, okay. a total art form. Don't get me wrong. I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. short it's film, a, I'm thinking 15 minutes. No. You know, I might make no. half a bowl of popcorn for a you short could film. Eat a, you could eat popcorn, though. I could, okay. Um, and watch yeah. it twice. Because um, it's really great. And it's a uh, but it's a man for me. The other confusing yeah. point is that it's been playing film festivals. Oh, yeah. okay. For the past year, you know, around the world, so it's playing oh, like it? in okay. in um, the shorts programs of. So of, it's already out, festivals. so to speak, or just in the festival in circuit. In the festival circuit. Oh, great! It's yeah. being received well then. Yeah, it, it's played in Japan and Russia and Mexico and the UK. Or, yeah. What is queer the festivals and. Film festivals. So it's a stop motion film, you said? Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So it's, there's a lot of work going on. on yeah. In the thing. Okay, okay. It's pretty cool. When but will it be out? Um, uh, like a, summer. Pride. Maybe around Pride. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're yeah, thinking yeah. June. Okay. So yeah. That's still, still figuring it out. But it's done. It's just oh, a yeah, matter it's of yeah. getting it up and available. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, in and terms of Tom, is there a new record being formulated? Yep, for sure. Um, you want to donate to us in cash? In person, that'd be great. Uh, no, but well, we definitely have rep building. We're, d we're doing no, but some more little tours. What's there's that? another one in the can already. Is there? Christine. You don't know that your band has an album done? <laughs> oh, right. We record, yes, we recorded with our dear, dear colleague, Christine Bougie. <laughs> oh, Christine was around here somewhere. Yeah. She yeah. might she appear tonight at the okay, show. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, she played with John Southworth last night. Yes, she was playing with John Southworth last night, and she mentioned she might be here for this talk, but... Okay. Didn't work out. Oh, guess she's not gay anymore. I'm not throwing her <laughs> under the bus. I love Christine. It was great to see Christine. I just. Uh, but, anyway. but it's a little known that we recorded a, a 45 with her two songs. Oh, it's, great. it's being released as a 45. Oh, cool. Yeah. When's that? Sometime soon. Yeah, she has test pressing, so probably very soon. Sweet. Yeah. Okay, great. But yeah. otherwise, full-length QSO project proper. Is that going to happen? Yes, indeed. It'll happen, but yeah, we're going to figure out what to do. And we're Next. getting into the summertime, it seems, almost. Are there tour plans? Yeah, we have, we're playing in Vancouver at the end of June, the Queer Arts Festival. Um, and we're playing the, it's the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots on June 28th, so we're playing that okay. night in Vancouver. 
Um, we're playing in Huntsville in July, Huntsville Arts Festival, and and then in August we're doing a, a short tour. We're playing Chamberfest in Ottawa. Uh, we're going to play Saskatoon and then the Regina Folk Festival, which isn't announced yet. But by the time this comes by the time out, this probably hopefully it'll be <laughs> announced. Okay. Well, it's been uh, great to have you uh, here in Guelph. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Um, I really have. Good, good. Is there a song uh, from the last record that we can go out on for the people listening to this? Uh, anyone? Any any particular song? I, I want Stephen to pick because... Uh, I mean, I'm probably going to pick Let's Go Swimming. Yeah. yeah. Arthur Russell song. Is there any particular reason why? I just love it. I love the original version and I really love our version, which is Nick Nick Storing, Nick Storing arrangement, yeah. and it's um yeah it just I like the pulse of it and makes me feel good. Okay. Yeah. This is Let's Go Swimming, uh, as interpreted by the uh, Queer Songbook Orchestra. Sean, Tom, Stephen, thank you so much for being here. Thanks to all of you for joining us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the talk, and have a good Kazoo Fest, and we'll see you around. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bish.
Very special thanks to the people of Kazoo Fest for having myself and Sean and Stephen and Tom of the Queer Songbook Orchestra all together on this, the 477th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available on all iOS and Android platforms and also on Spotify, YouTube, Audio Boom, these sorts of things as well. If you're looking for an episode that you've heard about and you can't find it on any of those things, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, I should regularly schedule one of those soon. I'm behind. Sorry. But anyway, if you want to learn more about all of those things, visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter, at vishcreative, or follow me, at vishkana. You can listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time, around the world at CFRU.ca, or on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. Also, please visit patreon.com slash Control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. We could use all the donations that you have. What? Well, that are, uh, that are out there? I don't know what I meant by that. If you're listening to this show and you want it to continue please consider going to patreon.com slash creative control and helping us out. It would help immensely in terms of keeping this show going. Thanks again to Pete Strocadero, the bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee and Granddad's Donuts for their in-kind support for this show. We just went to Granddad's Donuts, my family and I, and I'm, I am stuffed. I've had a donut every day. It's, it's almost too many donuts, but they're so delicious. Granddad's Donuts. Thank you for those donuts. Thanks also to my friend, Jim Guthrie. Oh man, I just ate a bunch of Jim Guthrie delicious that guy is tasty go to jimguthrie.org to learn more about him and thank you thank you for listening to this program and subscribing to the podcast and telling your friends to do some of those same things it means a lot i will talk to you very very soon goodbye for now It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.